0: Today in Canadian History for January 3rd, I'm Mark Affout. It was back on this day in 1802 that 300 immigrants from the Scottish Highlands arrived in Sydney, Nova Scotia. Although these settlers were by no means the first Scots to arrive in Canada, their voyage directly from Scotland to Cape Breton Island marked the beginning of a wave of migration that would total almost 200,000 by 1870. The list of Scottish Canadians who helped shape this country is staggering. The explorers Alexander Mackenzie and Simon Fraser. The father of Confederation John A. Macdonald. The inventor of the telephone Alexander Graham Bell. James McGill, William Lyon Mackenzie, Nellie McClung, Tommy Douglas and Marshall McLuhan, just to name a few. Now if you're thinking there were a lot of Scottish people around at the time, of course they would have had a large part in shaping the country. Well get this, the Scottish population has never made up more than 16% of Canada's population. To learn more about the history of the Scots in Canada and why they had such a large part in shaping it, I spoke with Ken McGugan. Mr. McGugan is an award-winning historian and the author of multiple bestsellers, including its new book, How the Scots Invented Canada. Um, It might be easy to see the list of Scottish uh, historical figures in Canada and assume that they were, you know, a majority, but they were outnumbered by the English and the Irish uh, and the French, for example. I'm wondering, was there something about being Scottish that that led to so many sort of uh, intrepid uh, historical figures in Canada?
1: yeah that's a that's a big question you're right. The Scots have never been more than about sixteen percent uh, in total of the Canadian population, although there they're in Alberta for example, twenty percent today of Albertans uh, have a, a Scottish heritage but uh, okay, sixteen percent how did they achieve so much i mean they, they, they were uh, a majority of the fathers of confederation. Uh, The majority of uh, the prime ministers who've uh, served uh, the country, uh, they had an overwhelming influence on our educational institutions and on our banking system and uh, in the uh, exploration and settlement of the country. Okay, so you look at that and you realize this is the situation, and you go back and you try and analyze why, which is what I did. And um, I, I, I find myself turning to the Scottish Enlightenment. Um, in the uh, 1770s, 1780s, this tremendous flowering of uh, well-educated people. Okay, where did that come from? That, that actually derives, <laughs> incredible as it may seem, from the 1500s, and the Scottish Reformation. It goes back to uh, John Knox. And... Um, John Knox was a bit of a madman, in my, in my view, but he, he did, uh, he was fanatical. Uh, but he did do one terrific thing. He, he insisted that people had to, uh, he believed that people had to be able to read the Bible. This was the Protestant Reformation in Scotland. People had to be able to read those, those words for themselves. So that meant people had to be able to read, period. Uh, so it was a great explosion of literacy in Scotland before it happened anywhere else. Okay, flash forward then a couple of hundred years, and you get into the 1700s, you've got this uh, uh, very well-educated populace. Okay, that is what gave rise to the Scottish Enlightenment, with so many figures emerging onto the world stage, really, in leadership roles, people like, you know, from David Hume to uh, Adam Smith. Uh, stepping forward, and you know, subsequently, uh, soon thereafter or around that time, uh, Walter Scott, uh, the novelist, and uh, Robbie Burns, uh, the great poet and symbol of, uh, of of Scotland. Okay, so these people are emerging. They emerged from this very well educated class, but there were so many well educated people that the Scottish economy couldn't really uh, accommodate all of them. So you get young people coming of age, say they're, you know, late teens, early 20s, full of energy, very bright, very well-educated. They're looking for opportunities. So where do they go? Well, a lot of them end up coming to Canada. They they end up coming to Canada at a time when the field is quite wide open in terms of economic opportunities, the um, uh, the Scots are in control of of the major economic driving force i e the the fur trade and a lot of them gravitate to that and they 're able to uh, and they 're also hard working people for for the most part hard working uh, very well disciplined and uh, uh, and, they, and they go at it in a in a vigorous manner and uh, so they 're able to um, make a, quite a good living, and they begin churning it right back into the economy. That's why you get James McGill, for example, uh, creating uh, McGill University uh, and, and uh, University of Toronto, and uh, you know, uh, ultimately through through John Strawn. So it, um, there's a snowballing effect out of Scotland of all these educated Scots turning up in Canada at a particularly propitious time when the world here was quite wide open.
0: Yeah, and maybe just uh, I'm cuz I'm curious cuz you do you come from uh you've written a lot about the 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 explorers in the north. And I'm wondering even just that um that sort of ruggedness was that a was that anything that the the Scottish had uh uh Inherent to them.
1: Well, I think that's that's also a good point. So, if people are coming in from the Hudson, you know, through Hudson Bay, and they're landing in places like uh, like Churchill and uh, Moose Factory, a little farther south, and they're moving westward from there towards Alberta, for example, and ultimately to Alberta and beyond to BC. Okay, this is fairly rugged country in the 1700s. You know, some might say it's fairly rugged today. It's got its rugged patches. Okay, so, yes, the people the people of Scotland are particularly well prepared for this. I mean, someone coming out of the Mediterranean might find this uh, very strange indeed. I mean, they're used to uh, balmy temperatures. Um, you know, maybe I've seen a little bit of snow once uh, when they were kids that happened, uh, that kind of thing. That is a different... Physical environment than the than the uh, physical environment that the Scots are coming out of. So absolutely, that ruggedness was fostered uh, by the environment. And and you know, a great if you go and drive in the Highlands there, you'll find places with with names like Banff. You'll find uh, Yeah You know, so so the reason is that the Scots brought these uh, these names from their own rugged lands and. You know, you, you go to Banff and it reminded people of Banff in Scotland. That, that kind of thing happened.
0: Today is a day full of Canadian history. The first covered skating rink was opened on January third, 1863 in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And the last Miss Canada pageant was held on this day back in 1992. The pageant's holders admitted that it was out of step with the changing times. And as always, we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History.
1: Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW at 90.9 FM in Calgary. The executive producers are Joe Bruma and Mark Affeld. Original music is provided by the Fisk, Fletcher and May trio. For more information on the series, or to recommend an event or moment, check out our website at cjsw.com slash today in Canadian history.
0: Once again, it's Canadian quiz time. Besides Quebec, which province's official flag contains the image of the fleur-de-lis? Got it? It's actually a tricky one. You have to look quite closely, but I promise you that there are eight fleur-de-lis on the flag of Nova Scotia.